Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This morning beginning at verse 41. If you're using your Bibles in the benches, it's found on page 1,632. Another reason that we sang from Psalm 48 as we prepared to hear the message this morning is because it was... Rejoicing in the glories and the strength of Israel, not just the temple, but of the holy city, even Jerusalem. Number the lofty towers that guard her from the foe. Observe her palaces. Jerusalem in all of its splendor and glory and secure. It's a good backdrop for the story from Luke's Gospel that we'll be reading this morning. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse uh, 41, just reading through verse 46. This is God's holy word. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring your peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And then he entered the temple area and he began driving out those who were selling It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and friends, when you see Jesus crying as he looks over the city of Jerusalem. And when you see him angrily entering the temple to drive out the hucksters, you are to understand that you are like Israel in one particular way and that you are not supposed to be like Israel in another way. And these are the two questions that you need to answer for yourself out of this story this morning. First of all, how am I like Israel? That Jesus is weeping over that city and angry as he comes into the temple to drive out the hucksters. And secondly, how am I not to be like Israel as Jesus is entering that city? How am I to separate myself from Israel? In a particular way. These are the questions. And I ask you this morning. How are you like Israel? The Israel that Jesus is weeping over. And coming angrily into the temple. To drive out these hucksters. Well think about the story a little bit. Why? Ask yourself. Why is Jesus actually crying as he enters the city? Why is he angry as he enters the temple? 
Well, one reason obviously is right that Jesus is angry because Jerusalem is the capital city of his nation and his nation is not accepting him. And when I say that Israel is not accepting Jesus and it's his nation, we don't mean by that merely that he's Jewish and that he happened to be born a Jew and so it's sad that the nation that would otherwise be behind him should get with him. But what we mean by Israel being Jesus' nation is that he made Israel, didn't he? He's the one that established that nation out of nothing. And he is the one who called them to be obedient to him after he had blessed them. And that's why it's so awful that his own nation would reject him. I mean, you remember, this is the same Jesus who thousands of years before, before he became incarnate, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, came to a desert nomad named Abram, an insignificant guy wandering in the deserts of the Middle East, and said, I am going to make you, Abram, into a great nation. You leave your father's house, you leave this nation, and I am going to make you into a great nation. And he prospered Abram, didn't he? And when the Israelites were driven into slavery into Egypt, did Jesus forsake them? No, He did not. But He was with them. He sustained them in the tyranny of the Egyptians while they were enslaved. And He released them out into the desert. And even while they were wandering in the desert, He sent His servant Moses to lead the people, to give them wisdom, and He protected them. And then through Joshua, ultimately, He brought Israel into the land of Canaan, the land that He swore He would give to them as a nation. This non-existent, insignificant people Jesus took out of nothing and made into everything. He made them into a nation that all the nations of the region would look and say how glorious Israel is. Look at the riches that they have. Look at the wisdom of its rulers. And here Jesus is coming into His city, the capital city of that great nation which He made showing them His goodness and kindness and what are they doing? They're about to reject Him. They're about to hand Him over to be crucified at the hands of pagans, the Romans. Israel has been disobedient all along. Haven't they? I mean, this is just the height of their apostasy. I mean, when God Himself comes into the world and works His miracles among them and shows His kindness and goodness, the nation of Israel rejects Him. This is the height of Israel's apostasy. This is why He's crying and this is why He's angry. Because He's being forsaken by His own people. And there were hints of this kind of sadness and anger in the Lord's character all along, throughout the history of Israel, because they were always disobedient, weren't they? I mean, this is just the culmination of their disobedience. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 16, you want to understand what Jesus is going through? The prophets give you an image. This is what the Lord says. Just listen. The Lord is speaking to His people, Israel. He says, look, your ancestry and your birth, and specifically here He's talking to the city of Jerusalem, He says, your ancestry and your birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother was a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt and wrapped in cloths. You were like Jerusalem. You were this city that was completely disregarded. You did not flourish. You had nothing. But I came to you, he says. 
I came to you. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do anything for you. You were thrown out into the open field. For the day you were born, you were despised. I passed by you, the Lord said. And I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, Live! And I made you grow, Israel. Like a plant in the field, you grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. I did it. He says, Later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and I covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into covenant with you and you became mine. So he uses the image of marriage. You want to know why Jesus is crying and why he's angry? It's like a a spouse being forsaken. Someone rejecting a marriage vow, committing adultery despising their spouse, forsaking the vows and going away. For no good reason. This is the image that the prophets would have you think of when you hear Jesus weeping and angry. He says, I clothed you with an embroidered dress and I put sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I loved you, Jesus said. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring through your nose, earrings on your ears, and beautiful crown on your head. Glorious! Like a queen, you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth and your food was fine flour, honey and olive oil. You had the best of the land. You were very beautiful and you rose to be a queen and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because of the splendor that I had given you. Your beauty was perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. And he's been patient and tolerant for these thousands of years as Israel has disobeyed. But now he's experiencing as he comes himself, his people will reject him. Maybe you've been forsaken by a spouse, unjustly divorced, or you know somebody that has been, and you know the pain and anguish. Well, that's the only human experience that the Lord is choosing to describe what Jesus is sensing as He comes into His holy city. The one that is overcome by the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The one that, where the majority of the people will not embrace Him as the Lord, as the Messiah, but will reject Him. And what's worse, why don't you look at what's going on in the temple in the story. Now, all the details aren't filled in here. They are in some of the other Gospels. But basically what's happening is the temple is established for the religious worship of the Lord, right? And part of that religious worship is that sacrifices should be offered. And when you would offer a sacrifice to the Lord, a blood sacrifice, what kind of animal would you need to bring? Well, you need to bring an unblemished animal. You wouldn't bring some mutt, watered-down animal. Right? Some mixed animal as an offering to the Lord. That is not acceptable because he is holy. So he would ask that you would bring him an unblemished animal. Now, of course, people that would travel from hundreds of miles around to come to the temple in Jerusalem would not want to be able, or many times couldn't afford, to bring an unblemished animal all that way. Many of them would never have the resources to raise unblemished animals just for the sake of religious worship anyway. So when they came into town, into the temple... Some of the priests had set up shop in the temple to sell them unblemished animals. 
Now you can imagine what they were doing. It was a racket. They would raise the prices. If you wanted to have good religious worship, if you wanted the real unblemished animal, you would have to really pay for it. And they would make it very difficult on the common man and woman who came to worship the Lord in the temple as they were commanded and offer sacrifices to be able to afford an acceptable sacrifice. So they turned the worship of God in the holy temple of the living God where His presence was manifest and known in a way that was not anywhere else out in all of the world. They turned that into an opportunity to oppress the people. They turned it into a den of robbers. And of course, the priests who were actually doing the sacrifices were in on it too. Because even suppose you wanted to bring an unblemished animal from the outside, the priests were the one who would be able to declare whether or not that animal was acceptable. And they would not accept that animal from the outside, you see. They would only accept, declare an animal unblemished if it was purchased from probably their own favorite particular vendor within the temple walls and they were getting a cut. Right? It's organized crime. Right in the temple of the living God. This is what Israel is doing. Jesus had made an arrangement with the Israelite nation. Not only did He make them and design them and beautify them and give them their fame and beauty and glory but he told them that if they were to maintain their status as his covenant people if they were going to continue to enjoy his blessings then they would have to be obedient to him for example he says in Deuteronomy 30 I set before you Israel life and prosperity death and destruction and you choose I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commands, keep His decrees and keep His laws, and you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. That's one option for you, Israel. I have showed you my kindness and my goodness by establishing you. You didn't do anything to deserve that. I did that. It displays my glory and my kindness. Now you obey me, and I will continue to prosper you. But, if your heart turns away, and you are disobedient... And if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, then I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing in the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. You, Israel, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life and He will give you many years in the land He swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you obey Me. And as we said, Jesus is crying and angry because Israel is on the brink of committing their ultimate act of apostasy and disobedience. Where finally God has said, that is enough. I have borne with your sins and your disobedience long enough. And therefore I will give you your just desserts. And this is what Jesus is talking about. As he cries over that great city. He approaches Jerusalem. He says, verse 43, the days will come upon you 
when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple by the Roman armies who not but less than a hundred years later will come into the city and pillage it and throw it into chaos and that will mark the end, God says, of our relationship that we've had. You have forsaken me and therefore I will give you as I said in the terms of the covenant that I made with you your just punishment for your disobedience. And we won't spend the time to go into the details of that war that Jerusalem had against the Roman armies. But let me tell you it was sickening. It was bloody. And it was a disaster for Jerusalem. She was crushed The temple was thrown down. The people were killed. And Jesus says, this is my arm accomplishing this. This is my arm accomplishing this because of my disobedience. And of course all of this whole relationship that Jesus established with Israel was meant to be a picture of It was to remind the whole world of what had happened with our first father Adam who was created in the Garden of Eden. You know the one who God showed all of this kindness and goodness through obviously no doing good of Adam's. He was not even created and God brought him into the world and put him into this glorious garden gave him all of his blessings and just said obey me and you will continue to be blessed. But don't disobey me or you will be cursed. And what did Adam do? He disobeyed. He sinned against the Lord his God. And when God makes Israel, when Jesus makes Israel, He's saying, I want you to think about what happened with Adam. I was kind to him. He disobeyed and earned my judgment. Israel, I made out of my kindness and goodness and gave them my law, told them what to do, and they disobeyed me. And I judged them. How are we like Israel? How are you like Israel? We are like Israel because we are utterly, utterly sinful. We have forsaken God. And I know what you're tempted to think. Oh, I know that already. And we hear that every week in this church. And that doesn't build me up. That's what some of us are thinking. Some of us are thinking, I don't buy into that. (laughs) Who are you to tell me that I'm utterly sinful? The Scripture is telling you that you are utterly utterly sinful. The Scripture is saying that Jesus' disposition toward all of us is, you have utterly forsaken me in your first father Adam, you as a whole human race. And look at Israel. If I left you to your own obedience, supposedly that would 
make you stand before me. Think of all of your supposed goodness. You know what it is? It would deserve the judgment that Israel got at the hands of the Roman armies. Listen, the moment that you grow casual about the disgusting depravity of your own sinfulness, the moment that you grow tired of hearing it, the moment that you are tempted to think of yourself better than you really are, is the moment that you need to think about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and angrily coming into the temple to drive out the robbers. Because this life is not about you. You are a creature that has been made by a God who is holy and He demands your obedience. And every time you hear His law, you should be cut to the heart that you have offended Him and forsaken Him. And you should not grow weary of hearing it. For fear that you would be one of those like the Pharisees who would somehow trick themselves into thinking that they were really okay or a pretty good person relative to somebody else. You and I are like Israel this morning in that we are utterly sinful and have forsaken God and we are the cause of the angst that Jesus feels as the one who has made us and yet we have forsaken Him. He is sad and angry with our sin in a way like a spouse is sad and angry when they have given their lives, bodies even, to another lovingly and that spouse rejects them. That's how we're like Israel. Now, how are we not supposed to be like Israel in this story? Well, we're not supposed to be like Israel in that we have to be able to see the reason why Israel had to forsake Jesus anyway. I mean, why did God set up this? I mean, people have asked this, and it's a good question. You know, why would God come to the Israelite people? I mean, you might understand it with our first father, Adam, why he gives Adam the law. I mean, Adam did not have a sinful nature, right? Adam was good. He was very good. Now, he had the freedom to do that which was good, and he had the freedom to choose that which was evil. He had the moral freedom to choose what he wanted. But you can understand how God would give him the law. But why would God give this law to Israel, knowing that the people, having fallen in their first father Adam, are sinful and disobedient and can't help but break his law? Now, the thing is, if you look at verse 42... If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The thing is, they couldn't answer this question. They can't understand what we need to understand, which is what? That Israel had to be established so that Jesus could come from that line and be obedient to its laws and be rejected by the nation so that He would be crucified. Why? To make atonement for sinners. If Israel had perfectly obeyed all of God's laws all along and accepted and embraced Jesus and exalted Him as the King, Jesus would not have been handed over to be crucified and we would be left when we died to pay the penalty for our own sins. 
when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, He's not just crying because they're disobedient and lost, and He's not just angry with them for their sins, but He is saddened that many in Israel do not see that His death, His rejection by the nation of Israel, is life for people who put their faith and trust in Him. So what you've got to see this morning, how you are going to be different from the Israel that Jesus enters in this story, is that you will say, by God's grace, He has even used the sinfulness of mankind to bring about my redemption. Jesus came to a hostile group knowing that He would die and willingly did it for me so that for all of my utter depravity and sinfulness which I even take casually he has taken away the penalty completely this is what the apostle Paul says in Romans 9.26 he says it will happen in the very place he's quoting the prophets and he's talking about Israel rejecting Jesus and Jesus' death being the cause of salvation for the true Israel he says it will happen in the very place where it was said to them you are not my people That's where Jesus gets rejected by the Jews and says, Now you are no longer my people, Israel. In that very place, they will be called sons of the living God. Who is they? It is all the elect of God in Christ. Who have their salvation secured when He died on the cross. The worst act of apostasy by Israel is the occasion of the salvation for all those of Jew and Gentile who believe in Christ. So I hope you can identify yourself as that city Jerusalem which should have been good and wonderful in the sight of God but really has made a mess of everything and has earned only God's anger and wrath. And I hope God has mercy on us that we would not grow weary of hearing it so that we can also see That Christ came to die for us sinners. He has brought us to the conviction of our sin, but He has assured us that He has paid the full penalty. We will never face the wrath of God unleashed against us, even though we deserve it, because Christ received it in Himself on the cross for us as He was rejected by His own. I mentioned on the cover of the bulletin that the baptisms would drive home the message this morning. And this is what I mean by that. You've got to keep in mind that you are like the people of Israel at the time in that you are God's covenant people. I mean, you're different than other people out in the world. That's very true of Olivia and of Sophia also. I mean, they are going to be hearing all of their lives proclaim the law of God and their own sin and guilt. And they're going to hear the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ announced to all those who will humble themselves and flee to Him. And they will hear how Christ will guide us in gratitude and forsake our old lives and put away all of the compromises and excuses and follow Him. That baptism signifying the glorious blood of Christ, the precious blood, washing away our sins from our souls. 
You're a member of this church or another church, you've been baptized. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let that baptism for you in the last days signify the washing away of your sins. Acknowledge your sins. Flee to Christ. He forgives you. Don't let that baptism be a sign of the flood that consumed Noah and the, that consumed the people that lived in the time of Noah in the old world. You are the covenant people of God and you stand in relationship to Him and you ought to be right with Him. Paul grieved in Romans 9. Those Israelites, theirs was the adoption of sons, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs were the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is God over all forever praised. And he says, if they reject Christ, it's all lost. And I tell you this morning, I don't care if you've been in this church 50 years, 70 years, two weeks. You are in covenant with God and He calls you to acknowledge your utter depravity and embrace Christ who has died for your sin and cling to Him and to Him alone. And to that, all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. Father, we take casually our sin, but it horrifies us to be reminded that what we have done to you is far worse even than a spouse forsaking their lover. And we cannot understand why you would look mercifully to us, but you have. And you, O Lord Jesus Christ, came to suffer at the hands of us, your creatures, to be rejected by a nation which you made famous. All for poor sinners like us. Jesus, thank you for lifting up our hearts this morning. For we are free in you. Strengthen us, O Lord, by your Spirit to glorify you all of our days. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Three hundred sixty-one is a familiar tune, because of course it's uh, the same tune for our doxology. So we'll sing in thanksgiving to God these first three stanzas, and then receive the benediction. Three sixty-one, the first three stanzas. Mm-hmm.